Hey there, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of E Pluribus Unum, a podcast where we learn about Torah and how we can apply it to our daily lives. We demystify the conservative viewpoint and search for true unity that revolves around shared values and goals. I want to wish a happy Lunar New Year to everyone who was celebrating over the last weekend. I learned a lot about the Lunar New Year this year from my manicurist, who is Vietnamese. I have always been confused and a little bit bothered by companies that put up signs for the Lunar New Year and then call it Lunar New Year as opposed to Chinese New Year or Asian New Year because there are actually a lot of cultures that use a lunar calendar. It felt like the companies were trying so hard to not be discriminatory but also to be inclusive because I remember growing up that it was always called Chinese New Year and then at some point maybe there was just a recognition that it wasn't just Chinese or we got to the point where for some reason we can't call things by the culture that they are. So it went to Lunar New Year, but that again bothered me because it didn't feel very inclusive because there are other Lunar New Years. But as I said, I learned a lot about Lunar New Year and I think that that is an appropriate wording and way of celebrating it for companies, for card manufacturers, whomever. It is interesting that a lot of different cultures have a Lunar New Year, not just a lot of Asian cultures, but also Jews and Muslims. I guess it just made more sense to follow the cycles of the moon as opposed to the sun, which theoretically doesn't really have a beginning or an end, right? Every day it comes up and every night it goes down. I suppose throughout the year, there are differences in its orbit or in our orbit, but it totally makes sense that cultures used to follow a lunar new year. What I did learn, interestingly, is that Asians, or at least Vietnamese, But since a lot of different Asian cultures celebrate the Lunar New Year on the same day, I have to imagine that it's true not just for the Vietnamese, but for the others who celebrate that they add an extra month. Judaism also adds an extra month to the calendar because there are fewer days in a lunar month than a solar month. So if holidays are to end up in the same season every year, there has to be an added month. Basically, instead of a leap day like we have on the Gregorian calendar, The lunar calendar has a leap month to make sure that everything stays in the same order. Muslims don't add an extra month, so their holidays can be celebrated in every season. Anyway, so it was really interesting to learn. She told us some of the customs, such as the fact that they stock everything, food and just general supplies, because having a lot at the new year should be a sign that for the rest of the year, they won't struggle and they'll have enough. She said they don't cook for the three days. They make all the food ahead of time and then eat it over the weekend. When she was younger, they would get their new clothes and new shoes for the year on New Year. So it was a very happy time. So I just want to wish a happy New Year to everyone for whom it is a New Year. Also want to wish a happy Valentine's Day to everyone who celebrated. It is true that Valentine's has both Christian and pagan origins. There are many Jews who don't celebrate. And of course, there are many people who don't celebrate for a variety of reasons, and some people call it overly commercialized, which it might be, but I'm of the opinion that any opportunity that comes our way to celebrate something positive with our friends and our family and our loved ones and to do something nice for other people, in this case, buying gifts for our loved ones or sending cards, is something that we should all participate in. I celebrated Valentine's Day. If you're more of a Galentine's or a Palentine's Day, then I hope you had fun with that too. Again, if we have an opportunity to celebrate in our lives, which can be filled with 
much, if not suffering, at the very least, doldrumness, then let's take the opportunity and have fun. So happy Valentine's Day. And lastly, oh, there's a lot of celebrations this weekend. Today is President's Day. So some of you might not be working and enjoying a day off. Kids may or may not be off of school. When I was in high school, we got the whole week off. So it was a mid-winter vacation, which was pretty nice. I looked a little bit into the origin of President's Day. This is from the National Day Calendar, which is a very cool website. They tell you what every what every day celebrates. So if it's National Cupcake Day or National Pizza Day or National Take Your Dog on a Walk Day, there are a lot of fun little things to celebrate and just just add a little bit of pizzazz to your day. So the origin of President's Day goes all the way back to the 1880s when the birthday of George Washington was celebrated as a federal holiday. In 1968, Congress passed the Uniform Monday Holiday Bill. The bill moved several federal holidays to Mondays, creating three-day weekends. So instead of celebrating the holiday on a specific date, they were just moved to Mondays. So Memorial Day is fourth Monday in May. During the debate on the bill, one proposal suggested George Washington's birthday be renamed President's Day to honor the birthdays of both George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, because their birthdays are very close. Washington's is February 22nd, and Lincoln's is February 12th. Although Abraham Lincoln's birthday was celebrated in many states, it was never an official federal holiday. Following much discussion, Congress rejected the name change. Despite the rejection, however, soon after the bill went into effect in 1971, and the observance of Washington's birthday shifted to the third Monday in February, President's Day just became the commonly accepted name. That's just what people started calling it, even though it was just supposed to be Washington's birthday on a different day. I have to say, I'm not a big fan of moving holidays to Mondays just to create three-day weekends for people or for businesses. I firmly believe that holidays should be celebrated on their specific day. We don't necessarily have to celebrate our birthdays on the specific date in the calendar. If our birthday falls on a Wednesday and it's the middle of the work week, so we can't get together with people until the weekend, that's fine. But we wouldn't say, we wouldn't call that weekend our birthday. Our birthday is still that Wednesday, even though the celebration might happen later. And that's with birthdays, which don't carry, in my opinion, quite the same weight as a national or a religious or cultural holiday, because those holidays are to commemorate something specific. And when we move the holiday to a random date, we slowly lose the meaning of why we're celebrating, especially with this Uniform Monday holiday bill, because in everyone's mind, these holidays are just three-day weekends. Instead of the 4th of July, which is celebrated on the 4th of July, no matter what. Now, if it's on a Tuesday, some offices might also give Monday off, but we celebrate on July 4th, and it's so much more jarring and such a bigger reminder. We're taking a break in the middle of the work week to celebrate something. That's a much bigger deal. To disrupt one's normal schedule to celebrate something gives extra significance to that thing being celebrated. I love three-day weekends. Who doesn't love a three-day weekend? But it just feels like an extension of the weekend. It's an extra Monday. How many of us are sitting around celebrating President's Day or Memorial Day? I hope we do, and I hope we all find a way. But this is one situation where I totally agree that these holidays have just become over-commercialized and totally meaningless. They're just days for sales and for extra fun, which is always nice, but we should find a way to add meaning to the holidays. I don't have a particular way that I celebrate President's Day. Memorial Day, we go 
to the military cemetery, place a flag if we can. There are specific things. On President's Day, I haven't specifically celebrated it, but maybe reading a short biography of a couple of presidents, trying to quiz oneself on the order of the presidents, or any random thing, just learning about the presidents. There are so many interesting facts, like three presidents have passed away on July 4th, Jefferson and Adams passed away on the same July 4th. Find the way to celebrate, and let's try to make this day meaningful. We should celebrate our presidents. That's a heavy duty to be the president of the United States, and we should honor the men who have stepped up, especially men like Washington and Lincoln, who were not just transformative humans as presidents, but have really amazing things to teach us as humans. So anyway, it's a very holiday-filled weekend, so I hope everyone is celebrating appropriately and enjoying. I want to get into cancel culture. This will lead to an ethical takeaway, something that we can all work on in our personal lives. It's going to get there at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. It will happen. But I want to talk about cancel culture because there are two big stories recently about it, and I think it's important to talk about. By the way, can we just take a moment and realize how ridiculous the idea of cancel culture is. We're not so used to the phrase, so we just say, oh yeah, cancel culture. Yeah, that's a thing that we do. But we're Americans in the 21st century and we're canceling people, like taking away their jobs and their livelihoods because of something they said. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? Anyway, there are two different situations and they're similar, but a little bit different. So we'll talk about each. The first is with Gina Carano, who tweeted some stuff that people don't like and got canceled from The Mandalorian, or fired from The Mandalorian TV show, and then Morgan Wallen, who's a country artist who said the N-word. The reason they're slightly different is because one was something done in public, and one was something done in private. So the reactions have different implications, and also what they each did was a little bit different, so there are slightly different lessons to be learned from each. I'm going to start with Gina. Here's the tweet that got Gina cancelled and then fired. Quote, Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children. Because history is edited, most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? Unquote. So she tweeted that, and apparently it was very offensive to compare 2021 to Nazi Germany. So she was canceled. Can someone please explain to me why it's okay to call literally everyone Hitler, but not to talk about the similarities between the Hitler era and other eras? You can't because there is no difference. Actually, I think there is a difference. I think calling people Hitler is a million times worse than likening situations to the situation in Nazi Germany. But I actually think both are bad and should be done with utmost care and thought. We should not so quickly rush to compare everything with Nazi Germany or with Hitler because it really diminishes who he was and what happened. It's just like calling anyone a name in an argument. You're basically just ending the argument or the discussion. You're not having a discussion. You're just calling someone a name and saying, oh, you're like Hitler, so now we're done talking. That's not a discussion. That's schoolyard insults. Interestingly, in a lot of Jewish circles, you will hear when people talk about Hitler, after they say his name, they'll say, may his name be blotted out, which is an interesting phrase borrowed probably from Torah when we talk about Amalek and we say, may their memory be erased, which is not a very clear 
line because we are supposed to remember Amalek and the evil they did to us. So it's not necessarily that we're supposed to forget them. So the same thing with Hitler. It's very common in Jewish circles to say never again. Well, you can't say never again to something that you don't remember. So clearly when people say, may his name be blotted out, they don't mean let's forget the history, but it's almost hard to understand. It's almost hard to explain, but it's understood viscerally. May his name be blotted out. Like, Never again. It shouldn't happen again. Let's stop bringing up his name. And we just don't, we can't help, unfortunately, but remember what happened. But let's not make it a, let's remember it as a warning, but not let it like infect us and infest us. So it's interesting that his name is all over and everyone is compared to him on the right and the left. And for non-political reasons too, people are just called the name of one of the worst human beings ever to live. And as I said, it's really problematic to compare everything and everyone to him and to Nazi Germany because it becomes like the little boy who cried wolf. If every leader that we don't like or a person that we don't agree with is Hitler, then no one's Hitler. And when there really is someone that terrible, we won't know the difference because it's already been used. People don't even listen anymore. I mean, really, by the third time people called Trump Hitler, was anyone really listening to the people calling names? No. And when there really is someone that bad, they will be dismissed in the same way. And that is very scary. In fact, it's already a little scary. I There was a survey done of Americans' knowledge about the Holocaust by the Conference of Jewish Claims Against Germany. So they're a Jewish organization concerned with making sure that people still know and making sure that the history is clear. And they found that 22% of millennials haven't heard of or aren't sure if they've heard of the Holocaust. 22%. And millennial is, everyone thinks millennials are young, but I'm a millennial. I'm in my late 20s. Millennials were born, what, from like 85 to 2000, somewhere in that range. We're not talking about teenagers. That's the point. A millennial is not a teenager. A millennial is an adult who by this point has gone through high school and very possibly college. 22% is big. 11% of adults, by the way, fall into that, that they haven't heard of or aren't sure they've heard about the Holocaust. 41% of millennials think 2 million or fewer Jews were killed in the Holocaust. The number is 6 million. Now, 2 million is still pretty awful. Hopefully, knowing that even 2 million were killed still leaves an impression on people who think it's that number. But it's not. It's 6 million. And it's interesting because in my life, 6 million... If I hear six million anything, even if it's talking about six million dollars or six million shoelaces, when I hear six million, I think of Jews in the Holocaust. It's automatic. So it's interesting to me how few people or how many people don't know that number. And then two, two thirds of millennials don't know Auschwitz. I don't know what it is. That's another interesting one to me. I have such a visceral reaction to hearing the word Auschwitz. It's really painful, just that word itself and knowing everything that goes along with it. It's it's a powerful word. And there were other camps that were just as bad, but there's just something about that, well, when any of them are said, but that one's the most often used. Again, interesting how many millennials, again, and millennials are adults, don't know about it when it's so central to my life and to the community I'm a part of. And the final number that really struck me was 45% of Americans, this is all Americans, not just millennials, can't name a ghetto or a camp from World War II. There were over 40,000. And that includes Warsaw. So that means 45% of Americans can't even name 
the Warsaw Ghetto. These numbers are really striking and certainly indicates a huge problem with our education system and with how parents are educating their own children. And I understand that there are certain things in history which are really major in their time and then are less major as time goes on. I'm sure a lot of people would be hard-pressed to name a battle from the Civil War, maybe even from the Revolutionary War. There are probably specifics of a lot of things in history that we can't name anymore, but the Holocaust was not that long ago. People are still alive who suffered through the Holocaust, or soldiers who fought in the U.S., so there are still people alive who were there. Remember, it wasn't just Jews who were killed. People with deformities were killed, or other mental infirmities. Gypsies were killed, communists gays and lesbians. So Jews carry the banner because we were the biggest single group and because it so decimated the Jewish community, which had been thriving in Europe for a while. But we weren't the only ones, but we do seem to be the ones carrying the banner. And when people think of the Holocaust, I think they often think of Jews. And again, rightly so. But the reason we need to remember the Holocaust is not just because of what was done to the Jews, but because one group of humans did to another group of humans because their hatred was so immense and they disregarded and disregarded their fellow humans and called them less than animals. It's the lessons of where humanity can go and what we have to fight against in our own natures and in other people's natures. That's the lessons of the Holocaust. For Jews, it is a specific focus on finding people who are anti-Jewish and making sure that they learn better or are not able to put into practice the things that they might feel. But for the world at large, the lessons of the Holocaust are, this is what one group of people can do to another in a short number of years. Neighbors can do to neighbors, family to family, and we need to keep an eye out for that, which I think is what Gina Carano's tweet was. Her tweet was reminding us that the Holocaust didn't start by Jews being stuffed into gas chambers. It started because people hated each other. And when we hate other people and stop seeing them as our brothers and our sisters, but as less than us, it is much easier to act first rudely and then violently and ultimately murder them. I think her tweet was very important. And the fact that she was fired because of it is really a shame on Disney and on Lucasfilm. And I hate saying shame on Disney because I love Disney, but Shame on them because what she said is really important. And it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle one is on. We should not be saying such hateful things about anyone, right or left. I have enough time, so I think I'll say this little sidebar here. As you all know, I'm Jewish. So I do have a particular feeling about situations that have to do with Holocaust and using the name Hitler. May his name be blotted out. And references to the Holocaust. And again, references to the Holocaust, we really have to be careful when we make them. And again, references to the Holocaust, we have to be very careful when we make them. Gina Carano's tweet was right, and it doesn't seem like she was necessarily calling out one group or another. She was just saying this extreme hatred can lead to dire consequences. Take that as opposed to one of her co-stars, Think the Star of the Mandalorian, who tweeted several years ago a picture of kids in concentration camp and pictures of kids in cages and then said, this is America. So he was also drawing a comparison to Nazi Germany and the US. I don't think he was fired for that one, by the way. We won't get political with it. He wasn't fired for it. And if he wasn't fired for it, that's fine. But then she should not have been fired for what she said. But what he did is much worse. What's happening at the border with the kids in 
cages, which is a difficult situation, has not the same as what happened to Jews and other people in concentration camps whose body parts were turned into soap, whose ashes went into the air and were breathed in by their fellow inmates who were tortured, shot, and starved, and beaten. It is not the same. And if one is going to make a comparison to the Holocaust, then one should be very careful before making that comparison and make sure that they're making the comparison for the purpose of of really educating and bringing light to a dangerous situation as opposed to just making a political point because it dishonors the memory of millions of people who suffered or whose families suffered to talk about the Holocaust or Hitler anytime we don't agree with someone. It's really disgusting. And yes, I am saying that because I am Jewish and because my family, thank God, escaped just before Hitler's invasion of Vienna. And also because I have met people who are survivors. I also know plenty of people who never met their grandparents or great grandparents or who's, or who don't have great aunts and uncles because of the Holocaust. And I'm also saying it as a human. And I don't think one needs to be Jewish or part of an in-group to understand and have an insight into the situation. In fact, sometimes you might be part of the in-group and not have a good insight into the situation. Being part of the group might give you certain experience or emotions about a situation, but it doesn't mean that your insight is correct. Yes, part of my feelings about it are because I'm Jewish, but it's more because I am a human who recognizes that humans can do awful things to each other and we need to be aware of it and not let it happen again. But we also need to be careful about the words we use and not diminish something for a cheap political shot. Anyway, that's Gina Carano, but good news for her because she'll be working with the Daily Wire and she seems to be fighting back against the cancel culture, which we should all be doing. Can't let people silence us. We just need to keep fighting. And again, that was a was a public situation. She tweeted, Twitter is public. Millions of people can see it. Morgan Wallen is a little bit different. You might not have heard the Morgan Wallen story because he's a country singer. And while he has some really great songs, if you don't listen to country, I don't know if it was as big of a story and you might have never heard his name. The story with Morgan Wallen is he got home drunk from out. I don't know, but he got home. He was drunk. He was with a friend and he called the friend the N-word. He said, hey, let's go N-word. Hey, let's go. Not, he didn't use the word in a derogatory term. He used it in a way actually that a lot of people use that word, right? They call their friends and their buddies the N-word. Anyway, so that was the situation. His neighbor videotaped it and posted it online. And now Morgan Wallen is canceled and he's not being played on any country radio station or on satellite radio. His music was right after this actually trending really high on Spotify and Apple. So good for him and good for listeners because his music is really great. And his one song Up Down has been stuck in my head since this news broke. So I don't know if the cancel, I don't know if the cancelers are doing exactly what they want because I'm sure he's getting more listens since than before. But that was the situation. I want to talk about why he shouldn't have been canceled, but I need to take a moment to comment on how despicable a neighbor he must have that the neighbor decided to videotape him when drunk and then post it online, knowing full, you can't post a video like that with someone saying that word and not know that it's going to ruin their career. Now, it's possible that Morgan and his neighbor have had problems and the neighbor was reacting to something Morgan did. I haven't heard that that's the case. I don't think it would justify the neighbor doing this. It might explain it. I'm trying to think if if Morgan had come home and instead of saying 
that word if he had peed in the front lawn or something? Would the neighbor have posted that online? I mean, were they just trying to take a shot at Morgan? Were they it just, it seems to me so despicable that a human could do that to another human, maybe because he's famous, he wanted to get a videotape. Like, I, I don't even care that Morgan said it. That really doesn't bother me. I want to get into the head of this neighbor. Why did you film it? Why did you post it on social media? Like, what was going through the neighbor's mind? That's what I really want to know. I also want to mention, as I said, he was using the word the way that a lot of people use that word. It's like, hey, friend, except instead of friend, they say the N-word. Here's something I think people on the right really mean. And when people on the left hear us say it, maybe don't believe us. Here's a conservative viewpoint moment. We really don't understand why a word is okay for some people to use, but not for others. If a word is bad, a word is bad. And if a word is offensive and mean, why is it okay for some people to use an offensive and mean term, but not others? I don't understand this idea of reclaiming the word and making it our own. There's a K word that's really offensive for Jews. I'm not going to call my fellow friend who's Jewish that name. It's it's really baffling. It's sort of like uh, girls who call their friends hoes or sluts. We wouldn't want a guy to call us that, and we wouldn't want some random girl we don't know to call us that, but we can call our friends that? Those are ugly, disgusting words. Why Why am I going to use an ugly, disgusting word for people that I love and care about? So truly, the idea that the N-word, and it's not just privately used in communities. If it were just privately used in communities, you might be able to make the case that it's okay for Black people to use the word, but not anyone else. But it's not just publicly used because it's in music and sometimes on TV shows and sometimes in movies. So it's publicly used. And that's a very conflicting sign. It's okay for me to say a word, but not you. No, either a word is okay to say or it's not. It's that whole situation is very weird. The important thing here with what Morgan Wallen did is that what he did was in private. An argument could be made that because he was on his front lawn, it wasn't private, it was public because his neighbors can be out there. But realistically, your front lawn is private. He wasn't tweeting. He wasn't out at a bar or any other public place. It wasn't in the middle of a concert. He was at his home and he used the N-word. And again, he didn't use it in a derogatory way. He's in the music industry. He probably has friends who use that word and call each other that as a term of endearment. So what he said was in private. And I used to be conflicted. And I shouldn't say used to be. I used to be more conflicted about the idea of public versus private life. For instance, I bought the idea that someone's private life could be an indication of his or her leadership abilities or my ability to trust him or her. The point was, I used to think that what people did in their private life would tell us about their public life. And my parents are the one who told me that it's, who dissuaded me. We had this discussion the other day. And Dennis Prager and, and a host of sources. And I, I'm more coming to the idea that what one does in private really is different than what one does in public. And we need to think about ourselves and not famous people in this situation. There are definitely times when we say or do things out of some heightened emotion, whether anger or sadness or excitement, that we wouldn't do in public. There are things, sometimes we might gossip about our friends, things that we would never say to them because we don't really mean them, but in a fit of heightened emotion, we think it. So there is a difference between private and public life because what we do in private doesn't necessarily reflect who we are in public. The reason I was torn was because I thought, Okay, he got caught using the N-word, but I would never use the N-word. It wouldn't even come up in my mind. So surely that's an indication of something. But again, as I said, he's in the music industry. So maybe he does use the N-word as a matter of course. We are so used to the private life 
having a bearing on the public that we don't even question it anymore. But I was recently reading in Joseph Telushkin's Words That Hurt, Words That Heal. It was it was like he knew that I wanted to talk about this on the podcast, and then the chapter was written for me. It was beautiful. So in this book, he's talking about how to lead a life where we don't gossip and don't talk negatively about people and choose our words very carefully because our words have immense power, power to do immense bad, but also power to do immense good. And we have to be really careful when we talk about other people, if we talk about other people at all. And he dedicated a whole chapter to the difference between privacy and public life and its bearing on people in the public sphere. For instance, when I was in school, either in my journalism class or my civics class, we were taught public officials do not have a right to privacy because they've elected to be in the public eye. But Teleshkin says just because they're in the public eye doesn't mean that they've given up this basic civil right, maybe not a human right, not as basic as not murdering, but but in a civilized society, people need their privacy. If we didn't have private lives, when would we have sex? When would we go to the bath? We all need our privacy. For public officials, though, Teleshkin makes the point that it's it's more important than we think. It's for our sake, as well as the sake of the public official. He makes two points. His first is that by making the private life public, that's what we focus on. Because realistically, someone's marriage problems are more interesting than their stance on the economy. It just is. It's more interesting news reporting. There are more interesting pictures and stories to tell. But someone's marital infidelity actually has no bearing on whether or not they have good economic policy. We get so blindsided by the personal that we don't even focus on the important issues. And then we can't really make properly informed decisions because we don't really know the issues and the news isn't giving them to us. They're just giving us the personal. So we hurt ourselves because we're picking people based on personal stuff instead of substance. And secondly, we limit the type of people who are going to get into the public eye because people who are shyer and less comfortable with the public are going to keep away from politics. Even though they might have really good ideas and might be great leaders, they might just not want to be in the public eye. And so they're not encouraged to run. And as much as I do like President Trump, and I think he's a good person and did a lot of good things, that's a type of person we get when we make the private public, the type of person who doesn't care about what they do or doesn't care what people know. Is that the type of person we want? I don't know. But it's definitely a consequence of making the private public. So I said there would be something we can take away from today, and here it is. So as Tlushkin concludes in this chapter between what we do in private versus what we do in public, we have to be very particular about what we choose to share with other people. There are times and places when we need to share information that we know about someone for the other person's sake. For instance, if your best friend Jesse is dating Bob, if you happen to know that Jesse abused her last three husbands, then you have an obligation to tell Bob that he could be getting into a dangerous situation and then he can make his own choice. So there are times when we have to say negative things about people because we help a third person. If we're not going to do any help by talking about what someone did, we're just going to harm them, then we really don't have a right to share the information. And he applies that to the idea of public figures. And he shares a particular story of friends he knew who were in the political sphere, and they found out that the guy had been in an adulterous affair and had convinced the woman to get an abortion. The opponent found out the information and wanted to share it and consulted Rabbi Telushkin. Rabbi Telushkin said, first of all, how does he feel about abortion, this candidate? They said, actually, he thinks women should be able to get abortions. 
He said, okay, so he wasn't being a hypocrite because he thinks abortion should be allowed. So you can't share the information because if he was acting very hypocritically, then that should be something that the voters should know. But otherwise, you're going to potentially ruin his relationship with his wife, which seems to be worked out. That's not anyone's job to do. And you're going to ruin his reputation. And that's also not your job to do. If it has no bearing on the voters or on the situation or on the issues, then we don't have a right to share it. We don't all happen upon information about famous people or about public figures. So we won't all be put to that same test. But we all do have friends and coworkers and neighbors, people that we encounter who we find out information about. And we are faced with that choice of whether to share the juicy piece of gossip or to not. And it's really hard to not. Saying gossip is the one, there's so many laws around gossip that the Talmud says it's the one thing that everyone breaks every day. Because there's not only are there so many laws, but it's really hard because we're human and we like sharing stories about people. Not even because we like to revel in their misery necessarily, though sometimes we do. We just find people interesting. And if it's people we care about, we find them extra interesting and we want to share with others. We have to be really careful because we can really hurt people with our words. And whether people are public figures or just our next door neighbors, they're equally deserving of privacy. That is the takeaway on something we can all work on is not gossiping as much and not sharing information that will hurt people, whether the information is true or not, if it has no bearing and it will just bring embarrassment to the person that we're talking about. We shouldn't say it. Just to conclude, one more thought on privacy in the Torah. There is a portion where King Balak hires the prophet Bilaam to curse the Jews, but God does not allow Bilaam to curse the Jews, and every word that comes out of his mouth instead is a blessing. And one of the things he says is actually part of our daily prayers. He says, how goodly are your tents, O Jacob, your camps, O Israel. And one of the commentaries about his blessing is that the camps and tents were set up as the Jews were traveling through the desert in such a way that no tent opening faced another tent opening so as to give the inhabitants privacy. So we can all learn the importance of privacy and to accord that right to people in our lives. And I think that will definitely help us to always be a little kinder than necessary. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. I hope today's episode made you think or brought some clarity and positivity to your day. Subscribe to the show to always get the most recent episode directly to your device. Please leave a rating and a review and share the show with your family, friends, or anyone you think might benefit from a little Torah wisdom and conservative thoughts. For more of my thoughts and ideas I share from others, please follow me on Instagram at conservativejewishfemale or read my blog conservativejewishfemale.blogspot.com. The intro-outro music is Chopin's Waterfall Etude. Have a great day!